While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Marcus Farrow. This is South Coast Tonight. Happy Friday to everybody out there. Um, everywhere. Not just on the South Coast, but across Massachusetts and across the country. We have listeners all over the place. I can tell. So, um, that was Anthony Amori again, art theft and security expert, uh, uploading the podcast now so that you can uh, listen to it at your leisure. A really great interview. Um, with a really interesting guy, uh, we were talking about Brian Walsh's. Brian Walsh is the suspected uh, who's uh, un, uh, who's been charged with murdering his wife uh, Anna Walsh up in Cohasset, which is in the South Shore. Um, I went to a wedding in Cohasset. It's nice. Um, it's a nice town, but you know that wasn't great. The wedding was great. I mean, what Brian Walsh is suspected of doing, not great. But uh, that was Anthony Amore. He talked about Brian Walsh's uh, art con. Anthony's an art theft and security expert. And uh, that podcast will be up soon. So that'll be an interesting, uh, it's an interesting interview. I can't wait to listen to it again. Yes, I do listen to myself a lot. It's the only way you can get better. So we're here. It's Friday. We're still talking about the local issues that matter. Um, we're talking about, so you you may have heard uh Linda Morad and Shane Burgo on with Tim earlier today talking about responding to Mayor Mitchell's comments on Newsmakers uh, last weekend. We remember we had had Ted Nisi on uh, who would, you know, to preview that interview, which I think Mitchell moved the, con the local conversation. Ted and Tim did a great job moving that local conversation forward for us as well. Uh, Ted's actually in Washington, D.C., along with Mayor Mitchell. Um, and many other hundreds of other mayors throughout the throughout the country uh, for the U.S. Conference of Mayors, the U.S. Conference of Mayors meeting in D.C. Uh, Mitchell's been very active in the U.S. Conference of Mayors, and you know it's obviously very, um, you know what the U.S. Conference of Mayors is is the organization of all the mayors of cities and towns throughout the uh, throughout the uh, throughout the country, and so. One of the um, one of the things that he's always stressed, Mayor Mitchell, uh, about the U.S. Conference of Mayors is how important it is to talk with your mayoral colleagues, <clears throat> not just here in the Commonwealth. You know, the Mass Associ there's a Mass Associ 
Massachusetts Association of Mayors too, not only here in Mass, uh, not only here in Massachusetts, but throughout the country to really get a feel for you know the issues that they're dealing with, the similarities between you know the things Mitchell's uh, working on and they're working on, and how best to move their cities forward. Not only that, um, you know how the federal government can assist in that. The president's uh, the president does have a liaison to the mayors, uh, in fact. And I think it was Ted who had a great interview with that with that liaison who said, you know, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, has who was a municipal elected official. Well, it wasn't really municipal, right? It was county. He was a member of the county council in, 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 uh, in his county in Delaware. So, you know, that's not really municipal, but it's pretty local uh, before he was an elected senator in 1960. 72 I think it was 1972 if you want to correct me on that feel free but I believe he was, Joe Biden was elected senator in 1972 but he was previously a county counselor and that liaison said that Joe Biden's always attuned to you know what do the mayors think of particular proposals because mayors are you know mayors and city councilors select board members and you know local municipal elected officials are really on the ground more than anyone else uh, in terms of like how, you know, government is, the operations of government are impacting residents in their day-to-day lives. And so it's really important to to get, I think it's really important for, for those individuals to get together and for the, you know, the federal government, the state government to have an idea of what that is as well. So, um, so he was, at, cause he just posted a picture. Uh, he was very up close and personal. He had a front row, uh, front row, um, seat to, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden spoke to the mayors. I, th- I believe it was today. I saw John Mitchell tweet that out. So, but one of the things that Mitchell said, uh, over the weekend, he said it on Newsmakers. I have a piece on it on WBSM.com. You can check out. But one of the things he said was, you know, because we talked about those those Morad pay raises, the ones that uh, she had she had uh, City Council President Linda Morad had proposed last month and were uh, accepted by the City Council. And uh, it was part of a group of necessary pay raises. I think everybody knows that the city government that that. Uh, Members of the New Bedford City government do need pay raises. Absolutely need pay raises. Uh, and they hadn't gotten one in a long time, but there were three pay raises that were $50,000, about 50% of their income, which, you know, the, which the people of the city by and large said was way too high. <laughs> it was way too high. And they needed to scale that back quite a bit. And they, uh, and, and so, and actually, when I had John Robinson on Ward 3 candidate, and I've talked to other Ward 3 candidates off the air about this, but when they're going door to door, all they hear about, everybody knows about that issue and is upset about it. So what the city council did is they responded by capping the uh, capping the pay raises for at, at 25%. Mitchell's, still, Mitchell's pay raise proposals were about 10% across the board. What Mitchell said was uh, newsmakers over the weekend that that had to be over last weekend that that had to be reined in uh, those 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 twenty five percent pay raises still need to be reined in. And when the dust settles, he's going to work towards doing that. Now, 
it's on his desk for signature uh, for for signing. He ha- he he feels compelled to sign it because he needs to fill. The, first of all, because there's a lot of people. There's a hundred some odd people that deserve pay raises. They're not getting. Second, um, they need to fill the fifty some odd positions that they lost uh, over the last couple of years to other cities and towns. Like I think they lost their city auditor to Middleborough because uh, it paid like. 10, 15 grand more than New Bedford. Middleborough is a town of 15,000 people. And so he said uh, he has to sign it, but he's going to reevaluate some of those raises because he still thinks they're too high. Now, when you heard uh, Tim ask uh, Council President Morad and, and Councilor at Large Shane Burgo about this today, what they said, you know, was. Um, they didn't say no, right? <laughs> Which I thought was really interesting. They didn't hold their ground there. And you heard um, Scott Lima say to Adam Bass, and Adam Bass is going to be, uh, you know, back at it next week. There was no city council meeting this week. The next uh, council meeting is Thursday. And so we're, we're definitely going to hear from Adam Bass uh, after that meeting. Adam's provided such uh, a, a great service as a contributor here at WBSM to not only this program, but the, the the station as a whole covering these city council meetings that are so important. It is really important to get an on-the-ground on the look at those meetings. And now it feels like the media is really focusing, the, uh, the local media is really focusing on those meetings in a, in a meaningful uh, way, which is really good for residents to know, you know, what's going on in their, in their government. And that's a service. I mean, because a lot of towns have their own papers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, um, the Fairhaven Neighborhood News does a really good job. Uh, Dartmouth Week, right? They do a good job covering stuff that's going on in their town. But New Bedford had been missing that sort of very uh, day-to-day coverage of local municipal meetings. And Adam Bass has been able to fill that role, I think, pretty dutifully. A great young reporter that that we've been able to take on as a contributor. And I, I'm really excited about that. So he'll be back next week. He'll be calling in next week. But what was interesting about their comments today was uh, Council President Morad said, uh, we'll see what the proposal is, right? So, and I think Burgo echoed the similar sentiments. Now, there is some inconsistencies with the commentary on this because we heard when these pay raises were implemented that they, you know, the, the, the three in particular... Um, were uh, the the ones that people are upset about, the $50,000 ones, that they were for people who had served in city government for a long time, right? That was very uh, open. Counselors have said it on this show. They said it in meetings that it was for, that it was for individuals who had been there for a long time. Then the following week, uh, Morad and, and Brad Markey were on and then the, they'd said, well, it was actually about the positions, not the people. And you should have never brought up these individuals names. Right. Even though they're public employees, their salaries are public record. And we talk about department heads and all that stuff all the time here on WBSM and anywhere in the media because they're public officials serving the public. Um, so they said it was about the positions, not the people. Right. And. I said that was inconsistent with everything they had said before about why these pay raises were implemented. And then today, 
it went back to, well, these particular people had served in city government for a long time and they're the ones that, you know, they needed, uh, they deserved a, a higher uh, bump than the rest of them. So there's been some inconsistency on the messaging on this. First, it's about the positions, then it's about the people. Then it's first it's about the people, then it's about the positions, and now it's back to being about the people again uh, in those positions. So I would, you know, I'm hoping going forward there's going to be a little bit more consistency on the messaging there um, because I think the people deserve a, a more consistent messaging on that. Why exactly it happened? It doesn't seem like there's been some there's been a, a solid, consistent reasoning on it. But what was interesting was they were they seemed open to it, even though they'd you know move forward with what they move forward with after public response, after widespread public response uh, against those 50 percent pay raises. There were still some people in that meeting that said, well, actually should be instead of 25, it should be 15. Some people said 10 to 12. Um, you know, some people are OK with the 25 percent. So they said it depends on what Mitchell's proposal is. So I think that's really interesting. I wonder, you know. I wonder, and they didn't make any comment on this specifically, but I wonder if they're still hearing it from their constituents. I wonder if they're still hearing it from their constituents. Maybe they're still dissatisfied. Now, again, I want to be clear about this because there has been some conversation. I've heard it throughout the day from caller, from some of the callers, from you know, uh, just about like, oh well, they, they don't need pay. You know, some people are saying these positions should be cut. They don't need pay raises. Listen. I am in full support, and I think everybody here, basically, when we're talking about this, giving our opinions on it, we're in full support of the fact that these individuals needed that group, that group, the Unit C employees, which are non-union, needed those raises. I don't think that is a part, uh, a subject that is really up for debate. I think Mayor Mitchell laid that case out pretty completely and uh, uh, reasonably. Uh, on this show, on his weekly segments on Tim's show, which you can hear every Wednesday at 11. So I don't think that, and we were, you know, we we all said, yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? We all said that. Uh, me, Chris, Tim, Barry, right? We all said that. Phil. So, but it's just a matter of, you know, were certain raises that were made a responsible allocation of tax dollars. Listen, I, I completely sympathize with wanting to pay city employees more. I, again, in my elected capacity and at the Fairhaven, um, as a Fairhaven Public Works Commissioner, when we're hiring people over at the Public Works Department. I'm always making the, com I'm always, you know, we're all, I'm always, we, you know, we go by the step system and, you know, it's a union shop. So what is, equitable based on the collective bargaining agreement and what we can get, you know, in each individual to on the ground up and then going forward. I'm always anymore hiring department heads. I'm always the one saying, okay, let's, can we go higher than this? Right. Can we go a bit higher than this? Right. But what we don't do, what we can't do is say, well, I have a feeling this, this, you know, this individual, because, uh, this is such a good person and does such good work that they need an extra $50,000. That's never, that never comes across our mind, even though those individuals that got those that that had originally got those hefty pay raises uh, from all by all accounts are good people and dutiful public servants. It's just a matter of responsive uh, allocating tax dollars responsibly. And whether or not that was done 
in this particular circumstance. So I wonder, it, considering their openness to Mayor Mitchell saying this needs to be revisited again, considering they're saying, hmm, yeah, well, maybe it does, or it depends on the proposal, right? Not no. No, they could say, they could, they could easily say, no, we made this decision. We think this is the best way to go forward. And we're not going to entertain what Mayor Mitchell says. They could have said that. But what they said was, depends on what his proposal is. I think that's really interesting. I think that's really interesting. And I'd wonder is if I'd wonder if it's because they have heard from their more from their constituents that their compromise or their amendments to Morad's original pay raise proposals weren't good enough or didn't pass muster for them. I'd wonder if that's if that's why we didn't hear any comment on that. That's just me speculating. Um, and we know we've heard from other people. I got a, you know, I'm getting a message now that uh, someone's telling me, uh, someone a New Bedford resident is telling me the whole thing should be vetoed by Mayor Mitchell because you know it's it's tainted, right? And I I, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think Mitchell has very clearly highlighted the urgency of the need to fill positions, very, very important positions like CFO, treasurer and all of that. The very, you know, how important it is to fill those positions because city government is running thin in operations and those are really critical services that they provide. I don't necessarily agree with him having to veto that, but re addressing it again, even though it could get a little bit sticky, if they want to, if Mayor Mitchell, if the city council feels as though that's an option going forward, I think that's more palatable than rejecting the whole thing because then you got to remember it's got to go through committee again. It's got to go through. It's got to go through committee again. There's got to be a meeting. There might be more stuff, you know, put in there or whatever, and then they've got to go put it back on the council floor, and then it's got to go back to Mayor Mitchell's desk. That's a multi-month process. That is a multi-month process, and I don't think Mayor Mitchell has a problem with most of those pay raises. I think he said some of them, right? He's clearly okay with some of them because he needs to sign that bill to higher positions. So there's clearly some pay raises there, at least a significant amount of them. You know, if they every every single one of them was a 50% pay raise, then I think he'd probably veto it, right? But he clearly feels enough of them are palatable. So I don't necessarily agree. You know, if that's not the first message I've gotten on this. But I don't necessarily agree with the notion of rejecting the whole thing. Uh, you know, it is going to be an issue. And then I think it's going to be an issue coming up in this. This It's a big issue in the Ward 3 City Council special election, obviously. We've heard it from some of the candidates that are running that, that have come on after this issue that has uh, presented itself. Uh, when I talked to John Robinson yesterday, he was a Ward 3 can candidate. He talked about every door he knocks, basically, is someone raising their uh, raising concern about that. So... It is something we're going to continue to track here. I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation. I think it's going to be an. I think it's going to be a conversation in the elections, which are this year. It's an off year, so it's a city election. Not only is all the city council on the ballot, there's some school committee members on the ballot, but there's also the mayor's also on the ballot, and the mayor's got to decide whether or not he wants to run for another term, which is four years. I lean towards yes. I lean towards him running again. I think. 
he made it, he laid out a pretty good case when he was on uh, Newsmakers. He laid out a pretty good case of why he doesn't have to run again, but he also made a really good case of why he could run again and why he should run again. It was a really artfully crafted statement on that, uh, on on whether or not he wants to run. He talked about some of the accomplishments, how this, you know, how school um, graduation rate has gone up about thirty percent under his tenure. The unemployment rate has dropped. They're bringing in new industries like offshore wind. There's port development coming in, and you know, I think there's a there's a new gubernatorial administration that I think he's pretty friendly with, with um, with Governor Healy and, and Lieutenant Governor Driscoll. So. I think it's all laid out there for him to make another to 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 do another run and I think he likes the job and uh he's at a point now where he knows it so well but haven't been doing it since 2011 2012 um that he can keep doing it and see see you know basically see it to you know see all of those projects that he wants to complete see them through and then I'd wonder if he does decide to run if anybody else gets brave you know if any serious candidates get brave and decide to jump in because all we've heard about in terms of candidates running against mitchell are these abstract phantom candidates with all the right qualifications and all the money right oh it's a business guy it's a legal guy it's a you know someone in the business community a legal guy uh someone who's got a lot of money you know someone who does this someone who does that all very um sound like great candidates on paper i could make up a great candidate on paper too uh, but I think when it comes down to it, when it comes to on paper, who is a good candidate, who is going to provide a formidable challenge, that's a short list, very, very short list. And I can't think of anybody to actually put on that list at this juncture. So a lot of interesting stuff going on. 508-996-0500. Also taking messages on the WBSM app chat. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to South Coast Night and happy Friday. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Um, one of the other things uh, about, um, and I've been talking about this a lot. I mean, this news was broken here on South Coast Night. And it's such a big story that we, that sort of just fell into our lap, frankly. Um, but I think a lot of you know. Uh, about it. It's um, Sheriff Harrow's proposal to close the Ash Street Jail. And uh, Councilor Morton and Burgo seemed pretty open to it. Councilor Burgo was, uh, I think, um, very, you know, gave me some interesting comments. I want to read him again. I want to read it again because it was so uh, it was so um, so good. So this is what he said. I'm looking forward to the day that House of Horrors is closed. Going on 135 years with uh, little to no updates. Lizzie Borden had better accommodations. Lizzie Borden stayed there when she was um, uh, charged with uh, murdering her parents. Lizzie Borden had better accommodations than those beings held there today. I'm thankful uh, to Sheriff Harrow for taking the necessary steps to ensure our criminal justice system lives up to its actual name. We must remember that someone's punishment for a crime is simply a loss of freedom, not a loss of dignity. I believe this is the right move, not only in the inmates uh, uh, for the for the inmates, but the staff that have to work in such a deplorable building. So, I think every counselor that I've had the uh, that I've had uh, um, that I've been able to talk to about this has, and you know, everyone I've heard from does see the closure of Ash Street as an opportunity. 
Right? You heard Scott Lima, Ward 5 City Councilor. That's, you know, Astrid is his ward. Ward 5 City Councilor talk about, um, you know, he hopes and he firmly believes that that jail will be closed. It's going to take some legwork for the state legislature. But Haro had sort of casually broke that news here on South Coast Night on Tuesday. And uh, it picked up pretty quickly across the state, um, you know, when that news broke. Uh, because Astri is sort of a it's sort of a cultural symbol, right? Um, it's the oldest operating jail in the country. Uh, Sheriff Hodgson had, you know, maintained that it was not only suitable for inmate habitation, but necessary in 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 the operations of the sheriff's, uh, the Bristol County Sheriff's Office, and it saved taxpayer money to keep it open. But Rowe had argued after the announcing the closure that he he had argued after announcing the closure that it'll actually save the taxpayer money it'll actually save tax taxpayers money once uh the new the new place uh which will be the old ice detention facility is closed i mean the new place is open and Street is closed and one of the primary one of the prime, I mean, labor cost is one, uh, you know, the mileage driving, uh, they said 12,000 miles per year to deliver meals to Ash Street um, and keeping staff on the premises and the utility bills. Uh, obviously, an old building like Ash Street, which will, is a lot bigger, I think, than the it's a lot bigger than the um, than the ice detention facility is, too. Uh, there's a lot more cells there, but only 96 people are staying there. He wants to build 120 cells in, in the new Dartmouth facility. But he said it's going to save them money on utilities. It's going to save them money on utilities. So it's obviously probably a lot more expensive to, you know, heat a place like Ash Street as opposed to heating uh, Dartmouth. And, uh, you know, the sheriff's spokesperson, John Darling, had said, after taking a look at the utility bills, of the ice detention center when it was operational and of Ash Street that it is basically um, that it is significantly cheaper. It'll be significantly cheaper to heat uh, and maintain that new uh, place. And, the, and not only that, it centralizes operations in Dartmouth, which I think is was important too especially when you you factor in labor costs. But each of the city councilors that we talked to, that we've talked to here at the station about this, see it as an opportunity, which I think is good. They all is, also feel as though, even though it's a state-owned property, what they should do is, what they should do is let city government and the city residents have a say in what goes there. Scott Lima said yesterday, the only thing that makes sense is housing. The only thing that, that is practical is housing. You can talk about museums and all that stuff and the hospitality stuff, but with the operational costs, uh, you know, the operational costs, whether or not it'll be a tourist attraction, all of that, that all comes into, that all comes into play. And I don't know if it's a significant enough revenue driver, you know, for the city. And he, he questioned that, and uh, I'd have to agree. Um, 
it's, you know, it's obviously sometimes can be difficult because it's a historic building and people, you know, we always want to preserve historic landmarks like, um, you know, like the armory, like a lot of the stuff we have here in New Bedford and Fairhaven, you know, historic homes and historic landmarks, you know, here in Fairhaven, we've got Fort Phoenix, stuff like that. You know, you always want to preserve those because of the, the cultural value. But I don't know if Ash Street holds that same cultural value. And there becomes a point where is the historic, the historical sentiment or the historical value can't be master to the public good that something like new housing could provide. And that's a good space for it. It's a good neighborhood for it. So I think that's where the conversation is going to be headed. You know, I don't know. It, it is the building still owned by the state. I don't know if they want to do a deal like the armory in which they, you know, there's the the state uh, the state was basically giving up their uh, the armory buildings. They were selling them back to cities and towns for like ten dollars, and letting the cities you know operate them as they can, try to get them back on the tax rolls and all of that. But it probably should be the direction the state moves in. I can't imagine they're going to have a heck of a lot of use for the building after the jail closes. The tour is January 27th. There's a good number of state reps that are in favor of it. I really think that it should be beyond because Mayor Mitchell has raised some concerns about it. I, there's a quote, his quotes on uh, in my uh, article on WBSM.com. Mayor Mitchell has raised some concerns. Uh, one being um, regional lockup. Uh, Sheriff Rose said regional lockup will still be available. Uh, it'll be a little bit further of a drive, depending on where you are in the city, uh, further of a drive for uh, people who need to use it in New Bedford, people who need to use it in Fairhaven as well. Uh, the police uh, need to use it in Fairhaven as well. It'll be a little bit further of a drive, be a few extra minutes. Um, but the, but, you know, where you're talking about building out a new facility, new, more modernized facility to house inmates and give them, you know, easier access to all the services the sheriff's office is, office provides and allowing the sheriff's office to provide to be a, a lot more efficient in providing those services. I think the few extra minute drive, while inconvenient, understand, I understand too, especially you want to you know, drop people off there, get back to your patrol and all of that. It's an important job. But overall, I think it's a fair compromise considering a more efficient sheriff's office is in the best interest of public safety, is it not? Right? You want to put inmates in the best position possible to reenter society in a, meaning, more, in a meaningful and effective way so that there is less recidivism. Recidivism being someone's likelihood to reoffend, basically. And if you're able to do that with a more modernized corrections facility, I think it serves everybody, including the including the the, the members of law enforcement uses a regional lock. And by the way, you know, for New Bedford and for Haven, it might be a little bit further of a drive. For Fall River, it's definitely closer. It's also right off the highway. Uh, the Fonts Corner Road, it's a much easier drive off the highway. Uh, it's a little bit further down Fonts Corner Road, but you basically you get off either you take a left or you take a right, and you bam, you're there. As opposed to coming down 140, you know, going to the lights at Rockdale, going to the lights, 
you know, going to the lights on Route 6 to Rockdale, you know, down Brownell Ave or down um, down Rockdale Ave and then down Union Street and then back up. I think it's a much easier, I think it's much more navigable broadly for for a lot of local police departments, um, aside from New Bedford and Fairhaven probably, but I think it's a much more nav- it's much more navigable in terms of that regional lockup function. So, I, I mean, I'm supportive of closing Ash Street personally, and, and I'm supportive of Sheriff Harrow's, uh plan broadly. You know, it's it's still very broad strokes. It's got to be you know presented in a way you know because I've talked to other legislatures. There's leg- you know legislatures that really like the idea of it. Some would say, well, let's let's see, but I think it's important to support the idea of it. You know, like Chris Markey has, like Pat Haddad has, like Tony Cabral uh, has, um, has. You know, it's it's important to support the idea, and then try to work to a, try to work to a, basically try to work to a solution. Right, identify the problem, work to the solution, and I think it's going to be, I think everybody is going to be much better off. Everybody's going to be much better off. 508-996-0500. I'm going to take another break. I'll be right back. 1420 WBSM can now be heard on 99.5 FM. Hi, I'm... Get breaking news alerts, stream audio, send us text messages, and get live traffic and weather updates all on the WBSM app. Download it now from your app store or at WBSM.com. Welcome back. I'm Marcus Farrow, 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hey, Marcus, how you doing? Hey, Tom, what's up? Well, another interesting aspect uh, regarding the conversation from the council president and uh, the other council at large barrels. One of the things that came up was the St. Teresa's Church. Uh, During all that, uh, the subject of mausoleum. uh, Oh, I heard you talking about that with Barry today. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And John, who's a friend of mine, uh, who sat on the cemetery board at the time, uh, clarified it all, uh, saying that he's the guy that brought the check uh, to the mayor's office at $2.2 million for the acquisition of that church. Now, I was of the opinion that the church itself could become the mausoleum, that another caller came in, and I'll acquiesce to his suggestion, because he was probably right, uh, that the, the property uh, that surrounds the church, is acres and acres of property, and that should be turned into uh, real estate, sales. My only thing with it all is twofold. First, uh, if they uh, do sell the property uh, for development, that that money go back into the cemetery perpetual care fund, because that's where it came out of. And right. at the time, it was highly controversial, and the cemetery wasn't being taken care of, and they had to force the DPI guys to go down there every so often. But it wasn't a, a good mix. Now, I guess it's fairly routine how often they, they go to the cemeteries and uh, clean them up, so to speak. But that money uh, that was taken uh, from the cemetery portfolio was for perpetual care, and it should be returned with the profit. You figure if it was sold in 2009, it's now 2023, uh, they should be able to get that fund back plus. And then the city, if they decide to put housing or a single-family uh, lots or whatever, uh, the, the taxation on that uh, could prove to be fruitful, as the gentleman was saying after I called. So I'll acquiesce to that. But I think also maybe if there's stained glass windows in that church, they should be recycled. Yeah. Anything uh, to be able to build a mausoleum 
uh, after the fact because we will have, uh, for example, if the armory uh, gets redeveloped, all that stone granite would be perfect uh, for the building of a mausoleum. We have right. enough highly skilled stone cutters, uh, stone masons, if you will, Portuguese stone masons in this city, probably some of the best in the world, frankly, uh, that could recycle a lot of that product or even the brick from the uh, from the uh, 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 Astrid Jail. Uh, so I, I think uh, both ends could be met. I think a mausoleum is a good idea, namely because I brought it up in my 1977 campaign, and I had that on a brochure, and I actually talked to Joe Costa, who was the, because I worked in the cemetery as a grave digger there for a while, and Joe Costa was the superintendent at the time, and he had access to the board, and I started talking to him about it, because, yeah, it's a good idea. Sooner or later, we're going to run out of land. Well, the time is up, and uh, a mausoleum <laughs> can be very helpful. Well, the land is a very finite resource, of course. You can't make any any more of it. So, um, so, so it would be you want a, a mausoleum at that at that church specifically? Well, I, initially I did. And then I thought, well, you know, you could put a mausoleum anywhere mm -hmm. in a cemetery, and uh, but it can hold literally thousands of urns. Yeah. Uh, versus thousands of graves. And uh, that, that land saving is important. Uh, and as the, the land mass dwindles, uh, then, uh, you know, there's going to be a need for mausoleums. Uh, you could probably put one in every cemetery in the city. Yeah. Uh, but they do cost money, and the biggest expense is the exterior. And we've got a lot of granite buildings that are, that are closed around here. And, uh, you know, once they start renovating them, if we can recycle that granite, I bet you stonemasons could put something good together. Yeah, yeah, I think that, I, I think so. I mean, I, I know some people have buried their loved ones in uh, in, in mausoleums. Um, I think cremation's a good alternative, too. Um, it depends. I, you know, some people have religious and sentimental attachments to Sure. Uh, to a traditional ground gravestone type of burial, but there is going to get a point where if you don't have a plot reserved, you're, you know, <laughs> you're, right. you're, you're, you're SOL. Yeah. I would just hope that if the, if there is a sale of that land and I, which would be interesting, does a cemetery on it or does a city on it? How did that transaction take place in 2009 yeah. under the Kalins administration? Right. Because if it's simply city property, then it would have to go through the property committee. 2009 would be Lang, wouldn't it? Was it Lang? Yeah, 2009, I think it's Lang. I think what? Lang got elected to 06, right? Or 07? 05? 05? 05 and it was 246. Yeah, because Mitchell, Mitchell got elected in 2011. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, be that as it may, sure. uh, as long as the money goes back to the cemetery yeah. uh, portfolio, then okay. Right. And with a, with a, a profit. Of course. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens with that one. But that one came up today. Because people were saying, oh, they paid $8 million, and this guy got on and said, no, I brought the check over there. It was $2.2 Yeah. So that's what they paid the guy. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I, I listened to that today. That was a, that was yeah. a good conversation. You know, it's, it's one of those you never know who's listening type of things, too, you know? Yeah, <laughs> hey, you have a good day. You as well. Thanks, Tom. i got to take this break. I'll be right back. Here's what's happening this week on Town. I'm Marcus Farrow, 508-996-0500, so you can join me. Uh, we've got one more hour uh, for one more hour. Uh, well, I'm here till 10 and taking your calls. Uh, we can talk about local stuff. I want to talk about some kind of statewide stuff that I think is important. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever you want to talk about, open phone lines uh, for the 
remainder uh, of the program. I do just this this asterisk thing, you know. And again, if you want to continue that conversation next hour, you can. I'll I'll, um, I'll probably myself end it right now, unless you want to add any more to it later. That's fine with me too. But it's just it's it's it's, it's got so many layers to it because. Um, it's not only like a major change brought on by the most followed election in the state this year, but, you know, uh, uh, but it's also like it's, it's it's a change in like criminal justice policy, but also an opportunity for development, right? An opportunity for development, a discussion on whether or not to keep a historic building or move on from it, whether or not the legacy of Astry is one that's worth keeping. It's got so many layers to it and we're just at the very the forefront of this conversation and one of the things i like most about it is that it started here <laughs> of course started here in south coast tonight and I'm, I'm really proud of that um it's kind of the the shows you the 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 you know the 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 power of a, a nightly talk show where you know you can just have a fairly casual but important conversation with a, a local elected official and that can make major major news that people from really all over the country and i'm not exaggerating when i say that because i've been i've been checking it out really people from all over the country are following so 508-996-0500 i'll catch you guys in the nine o'clock hour